I peek back to the kids' ministry, and they are just, it's like kids are like flowing over the doors. It's incredible. So good to see you all today. My name is Aaron. If you are new, I have the joy of serving as the pastor of our church. And um, it is officially summer. It feels like summertime, right? Like now we're getting into it. It's still a little cool. Oh, okay. Okay, a little cool still. But yeah, we're getting there. Um, I have some personal news to share with you. I'll promise to bring a picture in the future, but we got our first puppy yesterday as a family. And so if I seem a little off, it's because we've been cleaning up poop and all of the things there. That's just what it is, right? I mean, come on. But it's a very cute little puppy, and maybe you'll see her. Her name's Misty, um, running around here after all the shots are done. Um, I want to bring up the picture on the screen here real quick. Not this one. Uh, the, there we go, metal detector. When I was nine years old, I had one of these. Uh, anybody have a metal detector growing up? Anyone at all? Am I the only nerd here? Okay, a few of us. Okay, power to the nerds. Um, and I would take this thing, and for hours, I would walk around uh, the ranch I grew up on, and looking for treasure that would change my nine-year-old life, okay? I never found any. I found uh, rusty nails. I found horseshoes in the dirt. But treasure that would change my life, I found not. Uh, if you go to the beach, you'll see people with one of these. I feel like this is like the hopeless moment, the one when you, when you don't find anything. You just chuck your, your metal detector, kind of like your golfers, after you struck out on a, on a, on a, on a, on a putt or something. Um, but you've seen these before at the beach, and I always wonder, do they find anything of real value? You ever wonder that? You see them walking up the shores all day. Do they ever find anything of worth at all? And then I also wonder, how much time are they spending walking up the shores of Southern California, looking down at the sand, you know, as a, as a beautiful day kind of unfolds? Like, how much time are they there searching for treasure? Um, those who search on the, on the shores for treasure aren't alone. Uh, in fact, all around them are people searching as well. Uh, the most dominant uh, perspective of our world today, the philosophy, if you want to call it, is that of hedonism. And hedonism really is defined as the search and pursuit of pleasure as the ultimate good of life. We search our entire lives for that pleasure that will fulfill us. We look for pleasure everywhere on the shores of life. And those of us who search the hardest, look the most, uh, and don't find it, have the most disappointment, and when we hit rock bottom, many times we will say something like, why even bother at all? Why is this even worth it? Well, this morning we open up the Bible to a book that we've never studied before here. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, we meet the greatest searcher of all time. His name is King Solomon, and he searched for wisdom in every place imaginable. He searched for wisdom in work, he searched for wisdom and pleasure uh, in riches. He searched for wisdom and pleasure in the thousand wives that he had. I'll leave that up to you. You can search out for that. Figure out why. Okay, I'm, I'm leaving that alone. All right. Uh, he searched all over, high and low, to find wisdom and to find fulfillment. Um, and so Solomon probably wrote this book for us here today in Southern California. In fact, Solomon has three books in the Bible. You've probably heard of all of them. The first one he wrote is the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Um, and it's a book of wisdom about romance and marriage. And I think he wrote that book when he was young. First married, first wife, optimistic, rosy-colored glasses in life. And then he wrote the book of Proverbs, which was in the middle of the Bible. You've probably read them. Not, they're not all written by Solomon, but many of them are. I think he wrote Proverbs uh, at midlife. He had some wisdom to give. He had experienced life. But the book of Ecclesiastes is written by an old man. 
looking back at a life of pursuit, of fulfillment, and he's going to tell us what really matters in life. Ecclesiastes answers the question, why bother? Why does it matter at all? In 1 Kings chapter 4, King Solomon prays to God for wisdom. And God answers his prayer. And this is what um, it says about uh, his wisdom in the land. It said, God gave Solomon wisdom, the deepest understanding and the largest of hearts. There was nothing beyond him, nothing he couldn't handle. That'd be pretty cool to have, right? Great, that's a benefit of wisdom. Sent by kings from all over the earth who had heard of his reputation, people came from far and near to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. People came all around the world, from Egypt and all around to hear Solomon and his wisdom. Now, what would he say to you if you went to him? If you had a question for him, because oftentimes people would come to him with, the, with their questions and he would give them answers that were very wise. What would Solomon say to you in your search? Well, this morning, that's what we're going to look at, is Solomon's first lesson to us from the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're going to kick off our new series. It's called Fantasyland. Uh, it's a weird name for the book of Ecclesiastes, but we're calling it that because so often we search out to escape from life in big ways and small ways. And the book of Ecclesiastes is going to point us to what really matters in this life. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, uh, and it's in the middle of your Bible, by the way, if you're new to the Bible, it's kind of right halfway to the right of uh, the Psalms, to the left of Isaiah. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Okay. Good to be here, church, right? Sunday morning, here we go. Verse 1, Ecclesiastes verse 1, chapter 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Jump down to verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind, this is Solomon uh, speaking, to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. Solomon is speaking. He says, I'm a teacher. The word teacher is the Hebrew word koleth, Q-O-H-L-E-T. What a word. Q-O-H. You can't use that on Scrabble, okay? That is not allowed. That will win everything. Q-O-H-L-E-T. And koleth means gatherer. A teacher is a gatherer of knowledge who gives out to their gathered students, right? If you're an educator, you're a, you're, you're a koleth in a way. But a more modern day translation, maybe a better translation, would be searcher. Searcher. Someone who's searching. See, Solomon is searching for wisdom and all these different things. So he says, I, the words of the searcher. I, the searcher. Pretty hippie, right? Pretty hippie. Pretty cool. So like a man who gets into a Volkswagen camper looking to find himself, Solomon goes out to search for wisdom among all of life's endeavors. He explores human experience. He experiences pain, heartbreak, emptiness, joy. He experienced it all to tell us what really matters. In fact, Solomon experienced a lot of mistakes in his journey. And it's like Solomon is writing this to say, hey, I experienced these mistakes so that you don't have to. Like, you don't have to experience all the pain. Just listen to what I have to say here. You see, I think sometimes in life, wisdom can be gained by personal experience, right? We know that. It can be uh, gained by going through something hard, uh, maybe by uh, spending money on something that you shouldn't have. You look back, oh, man, that was a dumb decision, a bad financial choice that we made. We can gain wisdom from that, from personal experience. But wisdom can also be gained by watching and learning from the experiences of other people. And today we can learn from Solomon. Now, most people won't. We live in a culture that loves to be self-made. 
We love to be self-made. We love to say, you know what, I need to go out and learn for myself. And there's, there's something to that, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, I've seen this a lot when I was a college pastor, uh, especially around young people, 18 to 25-year-olds. They'd say, you know, I need to go out and explore life and figure myself out and go kind of throw myself into everything. And, um, you know, we know that experience is the best teacher in life, but sometimes that can be used as a justification to throw caution to the wind and just to jump into anything that seems pleasurable to us. You know, making decisions even before life even gets going. And maybe you're here and you have some regrets at that. And let me just say that the God of the Bible redeems us. He redeems you. That if you look back and go, man, I wish I had learned from somebody else's decisions. You see, the Bible calls those decisions we make that we regret foolishness. That's, that's what the Bible calls foolishness. So we have wisdom and we have foolishness in the Bible. And we have wisdom literature. So Proverbs, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, this is wisdom literature. And the point of wisdom literature is to give us principles to live by so that our life is in harmony with what God wants. He wants us to not experience pain and disappointment. That's his will. But he oftentimes allows us to have free choice. And so we get into decisions that we later regret. And so maybe you are here and you have some decisions that you regret from the past. Let me just say again that the God of the Bible is a God who redeems you. He redeems you. He can redeem you right now and heal you today. And we're going to talk about that. But we can also learn from our mistakes, but it's almost better to learn from the mistakes of somebody else. Solomon went through the pain so that we didn't have to. He had wealth and felt his emptiness. He had celebrity and felt the pressure. He had many sexual partners. He had the house. He had many of the things that the world out there values today. And he went through it all to help us to avoid the same toil. That's a word he's going to use in the book. Sociologist Jonathan Kozell met a woman named Mrs. Washington. And he was doing a, a study of urban America in inner city Bronx. And he was going, studying and studying. And he met this woman named Mrs. Washington. She lived in a dingy hotel. She was very poor. And she was dying and she had a son named David. And Jonathan found that when he talked to her, that she had a lot of wisdom. She was the most wise person in his study that he talked to. Uh, she talked about how children died of AIDS in her hotel. She talked about how children were shot by stray bullets from gang members as they stood at the bus waiting to go to school. She talked about kids being hurt uh, and, and seeing a lot of abuse in her world. And one day, Jonathan came over to talk to her again and inter interview her for his study. And he saw her Bible on the desk. And it was open. And he said, what's your favorite book in the Bible? And Mrs. Washington said, Ecclesiastes. Because everything that I'm telling you out here is described right here. Now, if Mrs. Washington could find wisdom and direction in her challenges, you and I can find direction and wisdom and guidance in our challenges as well. So uh, Solomon's first lesson is found in verse 2, and it's a, it's a very hopeful message. Here it is. Sarcasm. Meaningless, meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless, he says. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's how we all feel after we, we, we watch the news, right? I mean, it's like, what is going on? Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, says the searcher. Everything is meaningless. The word meaningless is the Hebrew word habel, and it means vapor. I got here a little illustration, a little glass cleaner, a little vapor. Here we go. That's what he says. So there's two ideas of, of what vapor is. The first one is that it's brief. Life is brief. It's like gone here. You try to grab life, it's gone before you know it. 
Some of you understand this. You're getting into your golden years. You're like, it's so quick. It goes so fast. It's a vapor, right? He also, I'm going to smell like glass cleaner when I'm done here. Just rub my body against my windows in a day. I'll clean your car windows afterwards, all right? Uh, what he also means is that it's unsatisfying. That, 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 it's, that, that when you have something that's good, it's gone quickly. You know, you have the In-N-Out burger. It's gone so fast, you know? Like uh, all things, are, we can't be satisfied quickly by them. So it's like vapor in our life. He says first that work is vapor. It's, 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 it's so transient. It does, as hard as you work every single week, I know you. I know how much work you put in. I know how much work I put in. And yet he says in the passage in verse three that despite how much we work, there's little impact to it. It's like a vapor. It's gone so fast. Look at what he says in verse three. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun. Mark that in your Bibles, under the sun. He says this 36 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a very important word in the book. Mark it, mark your Bibles up. Under the sun is important. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it sets. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. He's saying to us, work is like a vapor. It has little impact long-term. I know this personally. When I um, left Friends uh, back in 2017 for a couple of years, um, I was working hard on some projects. And when I left, those projects were so quickly forgotten. It was like, did anything I do matter? Then I came back in 2019, and the people I worked with before had, were trying to solve the same problems I had already solved years earlier. It was like, what is going on? This is crazy, right? Work is kind of like that, he says. It's a vapor. It has little impact on people's lives, and we work really hard, but it, you know, it's, it's a vapor. He says, verse 7 and 8, people are never satisfied. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. This is a metaphor for our lives. To, place the streams, uh, to the place the streams come from, they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the, hear, the ear of filling. Uh, it's fill of hearing, excuse me. Isn't that a quote for today's world? The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear of its fill of hearing. You graduate high school, you go to college, you get your degree, it's a great moment. Got your diploma in hand, it's a vapor. It's a great moment. I remember my moment, and it feels 20, it's 20 years ago now. Gone so fast. You get your first job. Oh, it's awesome. I got a salary. I'm, I'm rich. You know, you're like, you know, I'm, I'm here. I've arrived. And then pretty soon, all of a sudden, like you meet your coworkers and your boss, and you're like, oh man, I got to look for another job. You look for another job. You change jobs a bunch of different times. It's all vapor. That's what he's trying to say. You go, okay. I got to get the house. You get the house. Someone is going to live in that house another time, another day, right? You get, it's great, great to have a house, but man, somebody else is going to raise kids in that one day. You ever going back to your old house? You ever trying to go back and be like, hey, this is my house? No, it's not. Somebody else, it, it just keeps, you have a family. One of the best blessings in all of life. But your spouse, as good as they are, they can't satisfy you. They cannot satisfy you. They weren't supposed to satisfy you. They're, they never can satisfy you. If you try to make your kids and your family satisfy you, you will find yourself searching, and some of you do that. We know this. I know this. I, I'm married. My wife is, is stepping into kids' ministry today because there's a thousand kids over there, so she's doing her role. But 
If you try to make your spouse the main thing, you will be disappointed. Because God's supposed to be the one who you put your energy towards. Amen? So what, this is good. This is, this Ecclesiastes is, I hope you go read this. This is good stuff. Verse 9, progress is a facade. Oh my. Don't tell, uh, um, what's the place they make all the technology? Silicon Valley? Yeah, I mean, progress is a facade. There's nothing new to see here. Verse 9, what has been will be done again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is, anything, uh, is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here long ago. It was here before our time. Is the new iPhone really new? No. You get the new iPhone, it's the same thing. You complain about the old one. I mean, it's just all, it's a vapor, okay? And then he says in verse 10, people forget about you. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. One day there'll be another Elon Musk. Forget about him. Do you even know the names of your great-grandparents? Do you know anything about them? Like meaningfully? Some of you might. You realize that you're living in light of their mistakes and their choices, and yet you don't know nothing about them. In the, in the years to come, there's going to be great-grandchildren, and the mistakes and the things you make that are good, they're going to live in light of them. They aren't even going to remember who we are in this place. I'm in. <laughs> hey, but I guarantee your glasses are clean, bro. All right? Even the best of life can't satisfy you. Even the best of life. Even when you succeed in life, there's another problem afterwards. It's all a vapor. Life is meaningless is what he says. Ecclesiastes asks us the question, why even bother? Am I depressing any of you? If I am, I'm, I'm doing my job. Because the perspective that Solomon writes from shares, um, uh, the, the perspective that Solomon shares with us is of somebody living life without God. This is somebody's perspective of what life is like when they don't have God at all in their life. Without God in your life, work is futile. Without God in your life, your generations pass and you just whatever. Without God in your life, life is one meaningless experience after the other. Solomon's search for wisdom took place under the sun. I told you to underline that. Used 36 times in the book. Verse 4, he says it. Verse 9, there's nothing new under the sun. Verse 14, I have seen all things that are done under the sun. The phrase under the sun is a phrase to describe somebody living life without God. It's a, it's a phrase of somebody who is looking out. It's a worldly perspective. All they see is life on this flat creation that we have and trying to figure out who, what to do and where to put their energies into. And from that earthly point of view, it appears that nothing really does matter. Which is why you and I must view life, not from underneath the sun, but guess where? From above it, from a heavenly perspective. And so Solomon's first lesson for us in chapter one is this, that life without God isn't life at all. Life without God is not life at all. If you don't have God in your life, life is just one meaningless experience after another. It's just a vapor that you can't have any, any connection to at all. Things, you see, can't bring us meaning. You can't go buy a car and have meaning. I can't have a puppy and find meaning. You see, God brings meaning. Only God can bring meaning to the things in our life. 
And so life without God isn't life at all. If you're a Christian here today, but only by namesake, meaning that you grew up in a Christian home or you uh, had Christian parents and you went to a church, you can live a very empty Christian life if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so let me ask you for the first time, I'm going to ask you a couple times today, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Because life without God isn't life at all. Only through a relationship with Jesus can things begin to take shape and have meaning and purpose. Now, don't get me wrong. Having a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean that we live a pain-free life. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here because you all know that. You're wise, godly people. Uh, You can't have enough money in your life to insulate yourself from pain. You can't have enough resources in life to try to get out of experiencing the fallenness. Evil and sin affects every person in this room. A relationship with Jesus isn't going to just buffer you from experiencing pain. We all experience pain in this room. But a relationship with Jesus brings light to darkness. That's Matthew 5 and 6. A relationship with Jesus can bring good out of bad things. That's Romans 8, 28. A relationship with Jesus can bring wisdom to our life when we're struggling. That's James chapter 1. See, a relationship with God can all of a sudden do something very different. It can actually transform you when we have a relationship with Jesus, not just go from one experience to the next. So life without God isn't life at all. So men and women, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I heard a story this week that really impacted me. An unbelieving man studying medicine was uh, told his whole life there wasn't a God. He goes to medical school, told by all his professors there's not a God. He gets down medical school, he goes and he uh, starts delivering babies. And he said this after he started delivering babies. Everyone kept saying there was no God until I kept delivering all these miracles. Gosh, that's a great quote. It's a great quote. He kept on finding that, you know, this one shouldn't be alive, but it is. Uh, This mom shouldn't be here, but she is. Uh, These people have been trying for 10 years and they have kids now. Like, these are miracles. And I need to pay attention to this. And he started to investigate God and he found the Bible and he found Jesus in the Bible And it changed his life when he did. Life without God isn't life at all until you actually find God. And then it changes everything. This is why God's called us to plant the church. So uh, I sent out a bunch of messages this week to people. I wanted to share for a little bit about why God's brought us here. Uh, I realized that in this room, there are a lot of new people. And I actually haven't talked about our church since our one-year anniversary in February. We've just kind of been rolling through the books of the Bible and walking with Jesus. And all of a sudden now, four months have gone by, and there's a bunch of new people in our church that really don't know who we are, what we stand for. I just wanted to take the rest of our time this morning to talk about what this passage means to us as a church. Um, God called us to be here. Uh, Philip Ryken, the president of Wheaton College, said this about Ecclesiastes, and I think it applies to us as a congregation. Is there anything new? Maybe not under the sun, but the God who rules over the sun is always doing something new, especially in Jesus Christ, like planting new churches, like raising up new people. He said this, God made a new covenant through the blood of Jesus, the blood he shed on the cross for the forgiveness of all of our sins. If we ask the question, why bother? The answer is that we have a savior who looked at all the emptiness and frustration we suffer in this fallen world and chose to suffer it with us and for us so that he could, do, he could actually do something about it. I love that quote. So why uh, did God bring us here? In the summer of 2020, some of you know this story, but it's important to hear again. Uh, our lead pastor, Matthew Cork, because we're one campus of four, 
said to my wife and I, hey, you should check out the Inland Empire to pray for uh, a new church. We had been praying for a couple years about planting a new church, and we had no peace about any location. We did a big old drive around the west coast of, of the United States, had no peace in any location. So we came out here. We landed at East Brew Coffee Shop in Eastvale. We sat outside the coffee shop, had a cup of coffee, and the peace of God settled on us. And my wife said, there is a peace here that we haven't felt anywhere. And so every week during the pandemic, I started coming out here praying. And I prayed kind of between here and, and East Brew and the preserve. So you, we know the area, this, this little radius right here was kind of the region I started praying over. I was like a prayer zombie just during the pandemic. I was just walking around. There's, I don't know where anyone was and just trying to ask God, God, would your will be done? Show us what to do. While I was praying, I met a guy named EJ. And you know the story, but I met him in, in the coffee shop. We met a few times and had uh, a meeting. I had never met him before, but I just wanted to get to know a, a local and ask some questions about God and church. And after meeting three times, EJ said to me, Aaron, I'm about to have uh, my, first, my first daughter. Uh, my wife and I are, and we, we, we want God in our life. How do I bring God into my life? He said, I've been praying to God. Would you help me figure you out, Lord? Because I don't know anything about God. And so I said, EJ, have you ever received Jesus? He said, no. I shared with him the ABCs of the gospel, acknowledging our sin, believing in Christ, committing to him, and said, do you want to believe in Jesus? He said, yes, I do. And right then and there at the coffee shop, he accepted Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And I got in my car after I was driving home, and I said, Lord, what are you doing? And the Lord said, there are more EJs out there who are asking that same question, God, how do I help figure you out? And I said to myself, well, if there are more like him, I want to do my part in your kingdom. I just want to play my role. I'm not a perfect pastor. I'm not a perfect Christian. I just want to do my part in this journey. And the Lord said, okay, cool. See, life without God isn't life at all. EJ didn't know the Lord. He had a house. He had a job. He had a wife. He had a baby on the way. Those are like, that's the American dream. And even then, he said, I need to know God. And so he recognized he's a wise man. And so, again, let me ask you for the third time today. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you, have a per, do you know Jesus? Let me take one more step of conviction. Some of us need less sermons and more Jesus. Amen? Some of us need to encounter Jesus. Sometimes some of us are only getting spiritually fed here on Sunday morning, and you're not actually encountering Jesus in his word. You know, a sermon's only like this big. God's word is infinite and will speak forever. So do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that's grounded in God's word? A daily, moment-by-moment -moment relationship with him. So a little group of us started to pray and ask God what he wanted for us. We felt God's peace over it. Some of you in this room here today. We did Alpha at East Brew. We, we ran intro night at East Brew. And uh, that's why we call ourselves Friends Eastville. It's because our namesake, we know that we're in Norco. We love the city. We love Chino. We love Corona. But our namesake started there. And we believe God wants this, this church to reach all of the Inland Empire. But that's where it came from. And so we began to ask God what to do next. And he led us to start services uh, 16 months ago at Silver Lakes. And some of you know the soccer field's over there. It's a cool place. But we didn't have a contract. Actually, we had called earlier. They said no. And so my friend John and I started prayer walking the building like Joshua. And we were praying fervently. And then we called them again. And the CEO, CFO said, you know, it's strange. I've been praying for three years for God to start a church here. I don't know where she was originally, but um, we talked to her. And the strange thing, here's the God story. 
is I had the joy of leading her best friend to Christ at Friends Church Yorba Linda in Alpha Course two years earlier. And it was because of that woman's prayers and me having a friendship with her best friend that got us the contract. That's a God story. So we signed the contract. Some of you know the story. We were carrying up sound equipment, sweating all day up, up those stairs, the elevator. If you, if you weren't there, praise God, okay? <laughs> you know what most of us were saying? Meaningless, meaningless. <laughs> what are we doing? Aaron knows in the back, he was in charge of the, uh, the setup and teardown. It was crazy. So we outgrew it. We got too big and our kids were in a bar, so we needed a different location for it. <laughs> that was the primary reason. We had pity on our children. Um, and, and a year ago in August, um, I started praying, just going to every building I could find, praying, asking, finding out about it. I called uh, my friend at Saddleback and he said, Aaron, you should take our old Norco building. We renovated it. We put a million and a half dollars into this building. You should take it. And we went back and forth. Our team did. We prayed over this building. We didn't have total peace about it. We had some other buildings we liked in the area. Um, what's, there's a big, great school, intermediate school in Chino. What's the name of it? Uh, it's, what is it? Cal, Cal Arrow. Cal Arrow wanted us there. We were like, Cal Arrow would be pretty cool to launch from. Um, but God kept on bringing us back to this building. So we signed the lease after the owner kept on lowering his cost to us. We're like, hey, this is good for us as a new church. A week after that, I went to a pastor's conference in Sacramento. And this guy walked in who I recognized from just briefly from some pastoral things. And he was on staff at this church that we were at. And I started chatting with him. I said, yeah, you know, uh, we as a new church, we just got a new building. We took over an old Saddleback building. They were only there for like a year. And he goes, oh, I used to be on staff at Saddleback. I go, oh, really? He goes, what building was it? I go, oh, it's, it's the old Norco building. He goes, oh, man. He goes, I was the pastor that, that got that building, that renovated it, that got the contract. And it was my last thing that I did for Saddleback before I moved my family to Northern California. Here's the God moment. He said to me, I, I think God wanted you to have it originally. They were only in here for a year. So I think I did all that work for you. You see, remember how he said that work doesn't matter? It does matter with God. Life without God isn't life at all. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Renee. Actually, Renee's the one who told me to tell that story. I told her, I told her at intro night, and she goes, dude, you got to tell people that. So we think we're supposed to be here? Yeah. 100%. God's brought us here. God brought us here for you. He brought us here for your friends who aren't here yet. He brought us here for your neighbors that aren't here yet. He wanted us here. This church is for you. This church is for you. It's for the people who don't know Jesus yet to know Jesus. Life without God isn't life at all until we find him. I want to take a moment to share who we are. So our church mission is this, that we want to become an community, authentic community of Christ followers compelled to change the world. And a mission statement and a vision statement are a little different. A mission statement answers who are, who are you, okay? Who are you? So who we want to be, we want to be an authentic community of real Christ followers, genuine, not churchy, not country club, genuine Christ followers who are compelled to change our world. And our world needs changing. We want to be compelled to do something about the problems in our world today. Our vision statement, which is unique to just our church, this one doesn't carry over to all their campuses, it's unique to our area, answers the question, what do we do? So if you were to say, Aaron, tell me what you guys do as a church. You know, you're in an elevator with somebody, say, who are you? 
And, and, and what do you do as a church? I would tell you this. This is what we do as a church. We build life-giving communities that put Jesus on display. We want to we build life-giving communities here. Every environment that you're in, we want it to be life-giving in every way. We want Jesus to be put on display through the word of God, through worship, through surrendered lives. We want you to experience life in this group, in smaller groups, in one-on-one relationships. Every place that you go, we want it to be life-giving and put Jesus on display. Because of Jesus, new life came out of the empty tomb. Because of Jesus, in Ezekiel chapter 36, it says that when you're a Christian, you get a new heart through the Holy Spirit. It says you used to have an old stone heart a calloused heart to sin. But when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, you get a new heart, a fleshly heart, so that you'll follow his ways. The Bible says that when we receive Jesus, we're called a new creation. You're a new person. You're, the old is gone, the new is here. Your, your past is your past. Jesus forgives you. You are now a new person. And because of those things, the Bible says that Jesus one day is gonna recreate a new heaven and a new earth and you are gonna be on it if you believe him. And it's because of those new things that Jesus does, the new creation, a new heart, new life out of an empty tomb, new heavens and earth, that we want to bring life, new life to this community that puts Jesus on display. Now, where do we want to go? What's our future look like? So we feel like over the last few months, we've been praying about this, that God is leading us uh, to build life-giving community by starting a second service at our church. And the service times will be 9 and 11, starting September 3rd. Okay, so we got some time, so just kind of introducing the idea to everybody here. You might wonder why. You know, let me say, I love this. I love that we're all here together. This is amazing. Like one, one, one person said, Aaron, you don't even know how nice 10 o'clock church service is. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's really great. It's really great. Um, I understand that. So why would we go to 9 and 11? What's the reason for that? Um, when we look at starting new services, the reason for it in church, we look at the capacity of our kids, the capacity of our parking, the capacity of our adult space, and the capacity of our team serving on Sunday mornings. And right now, our kids are at 90% capacity, okay? It's great. It's a great problem to have. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's a great problem to have. So this morning is confirmation. Literally, people are getting pulled in to serve because there's too many kids back there. Um, and I don't know if you know this or not, but if you serve in kids, you can't come in here to worship. I mean, that's just a cost. There's always a blessing to sacrifice, and so our kids team has counted the cost almost more than anyone else in this church. And I want to thank you. If you're on a kids team and you're off this week, thank you for making um, that cost and sacrificing for those kids and helping our kids know Jesus because our kids are the most precious people to us. And, uh, and your kids mean a lot when you drop them off here. And so our kids are at 90% capacity right now. Our parking is at 70% capacity and it gets worse when the NFL season begins. Because we got a couple restaurants in the area. And, uh, and man, when, when, when NFL begins, it gets crazy. Our adult attendance here is at 60% capacity. So if you look around, the room's pretty full. Don't pay attention to that little sign over there. I should probably break that. It says occupancy 299. If, I mean, that's like all of us like this, okay? You know what I mean? And I already smell like glass, uh, glass cleaner, so you don't want to get that close to me. But um, 180, 180 people is really comfortable in this room. I think probably right now we probably have 130, 120. That's 70% full. And whenever we get to about 70% full, we know that we're at the place to probably think about starting a new service. And then finally, our Sunday morning teams. Um, we have opportunity 
to get more people moving to serve in meaningful ways by starting a second service. Some of us don't serve yet on Sunday mornings. I'll talk about that in a moment, but it really is a meaningful thing. It's where community begins. John, thank you for all that you've done. You've served, what, five weeks now? I think you've served four out of five weeks, and I appreciate you. He made the scones last week for Father's Day. He's a baker, which was awesome, so thank you, John. You're a man. Thank you. It's people like John that make this place what it is, and so thank you, man. So that's what we're looking forward to. We're excited to create more space for more people to reach people to know who Jesus is. Secondly, God is leading us to build life-giving community to start our student ministries this coming fall. Um, I'm really excited about this. I can't tell you how excited I am. I know some parents here are like, that's such an answer to prayer. The greatest demographic in this area are students. Like if you look at a pie chart and look at population, and the, it's like two-thirds of it are people 12 to 20. And so we really realize that for us to reach more people, um, it means the student ministries. But not only that, we know that you have students. My daughter goes into junior high next year, so I feel this personally as well. And so in the fall, we're going to begin more relational events for those students to get to know each other in our church and hopefully a discipleship group. And then our, our heart is, Lord willing, by a lot of prayer, would you pray with me for this? We want to hire a youth pastor, a student pastor, by the beginning of 2024. And that's a really cool thing. And, uh, and we need God to lead us to the right person for that. It's a very important hire as a church, as a congregation. Um, starting in this fall does mean um, some commitment by us as a congregation. I'm really looking for five to eight people who have the character, the capacity, and the conviction to invest in students this fall. And we're just five to eight people, but they got to have character because it's our students. They have to have conviction. They have to have a call. And, and we'll, we'll do training, but you got to have those three things. And so if you're interested in that, we can talk more. There's an interview process. All those things when it comes to people 18 and under are very much important to the process of, of serving. Finally, God is leading us to build life-giving community by increasing our reliance on one another and on the Holy Spirit in prayer and worship. You just heard from Tori about First Thursdays. And we had about 50 people at the first one. It was great. That is a place where we see answers to prayer. That's the place where we as a church lift up these things. Every month we focus on one area of, of prayer for us as a church. It's awesome. Our mission and our vision will be cumbersome. It'll be religion. It'll be empty. It'll be meaningless if we don't combine prayer and reliance on the Holy Spirit in those areas. Amen. So we can't move forward unless there's prayer and, prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit. We are desperate for the work of the Holy Spirit in this church. I pray for you. We pray for you as a, as a church, not for attendance, for transformation. Let the gospel would change you. I don't want that for myself. I need to be changed. I want my heart different next year from where I'm at right now because of Jesus. So how can we accomplish this together? Uh, we, we do four things. Gather, grow, go, give. Those are our four Gs. You've heard them before. I remind us again. So if you're new, we do four things. We gather on Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings is kind of our base camp. And uh, the average American goes to church 1.7 times a month. But you're not average. You're not an average congregation. So we gather here on Sunday mornings. We worship Jesus. We hear God's word. We see each other. We get a cup of coffee. We find out how we're doing. And it's a great time. And so gather here. We can gather here on Sundays. Secondly, we grow in community. So much of Jesus' life happened in meals, around meals. I love food. And whenever I get meals with y'all, I just feel like it's my favorite time of the week. Uh, and so this summer, we're doing something called uh, dinner parties, which is awesome. Uh, and what we want to do is we want to really help 
you as a church mix up, meet people, connect with people. And so there have been six people in our church who've agreed to be hosts at homes, their home, uh, for us as a congregation. And you can choose one of the homes, sign up for a dinner party, go to the dinner party. Your job is to bring your favorite side dish or dessert or drink, depending on uh, the, uh, your last name, and the host will provide the entree. And all we're going to do is hang out and get to know each other and build community. That's it. So if you're not in a community, this is the easiest way to meet some people. Go to a dinner party, and then we can take a photo and exchange that stock photo for a real one, okay? Tori and I were like, oh, the stock photo, oh man. But for real, we were like, we should have a picture where it shows like this is the stock photo, and then reality is like McDonald's and fries or something, you know, but no, it'll be great. It'll be awesome, and so you can go, and you can see all the times and the hosts of who's doing it, when and where, and sign up. And I would do it as soon as possible because there are spots that get filled up. Third, we go and we serve others in our city and together. I've already mentioned serving on Sunday mornings. It is the best thing to do to meet people here. There's a variety of different things. There's kids ministry. Uh, there's student ministry in the future. There's greeting. All, all, all the different things. And Katie's on vacation this week. And so if you want to talk to her about her team, she oversees the teams and uh, our, our, our groups as well. You can talk to her. Um, but we also want to reach outside these church walls. And just this past week, the city of Eastville, their mayor, the city council, they filmed in our tower room. Every year, if you live in Eastville, you know they do a thing called State of the City, where they give a vision of where the city is going to go. It's in October. And for some reason, they reached out to us. They wanted to film all their testimonies of their city and all that in our, in our space. So they came. They're here all day. And I hosted them. And the mayor is here. He's a great guy. And I told them about what we love to do as a church. And I told them about how a few months ago we cut down a bunch of grass and mowed lawns for people who had broken code enforcement in the city of Eastvale. And he's like, seriously, you guys do that? And I'm like, yeah, we would do it more often if you called us. We'd, we're waiting for a phone call. We've got mowers and we got a glass cleaner. We can do your windows too, <laughs> for real. And I'm like, seriously, we want to we serve the Inland Empire. We want to be people out who get outside our church walls. He goes, dude, I want to come back here and we want to film you telling that story, and we're going to make you and your church the highlight video of the whole night. So at State of the City, and I'll tell you when it is in a, in, in a few weeks. Yeah, it's awesome, right? Um, they're going to have a testimony, and I hope I do a good job. I don't want to embarrass you. Um, but they're going to interview me on your behalf to share about this church and about our heart to serve. And that's going to be the keynote uh, video that plays at the very beginning of the night. And it's going to be so cool to see. So we have a heart for this church, but do you know how rare that is? That's favor from God. Amen. That is favor. That's from the mayor and the city council. It's really cool. Um, we're going to still continue to reach the marginalized, care for those who are victims of domestic violence. We're going to continue to care for those who um, are in our foster care system. We just recently talked to the coach of Norco women's varsity basketball team. Matt, what's his name? Coach Kip. Coach Kip. And Coach Kip is excited for us as a church to adopt that team. And so this coming fall, we're going to do some fun things with them. We're going to do some things at their home games and just cheer those girls on. We're going to do some fundraisers, some car washes to help that team feel loved on by a local church. So we want to reach our local community. And then lastly, we give. Generosity is at the heart of God. God gave Jesus, and so now we give ourselves. And I want to thank you all for your generosity to this place, not just with your time and your talent and your treasure, but in all things, your prayers, and especially in your giving financially. We as a church, we had one, our first year budget just finished up. 
and we met and exceeded our budget this past year, which is awesome. Um, as a new church, we typically run off about a $400,000 budget with ops and all the things that go into a church. We met that this year, and uh, we actually got to $350,000, and then your Belinda pays for the rest of it, which is why we love them so much, because they help us so much. Um, thank you for the laughter of that. <laughs> and we want to, in a year and a half, be self-sustained. That's our goal. As a new church, we want to be self-sustained when we hit year three. And so if this is your home church, I want to ask you to prayerfully consider giving here. Um, if you've never given at all, you can just give something. Like it, God doesn't care about how much. He cares about the heart posture of giving. So it could be $5. It could be a cent. Um, and all of that goes prayerfully. We use it very prayerfully to our budgets. It's all oversaw by an elder and a CFO at our, our, your Belinda. Um, if you give, but not regularly, my encouragement is for you to give regularly, consistently. The habit of generosity will shape you like almost none other. And then if you give consistently, thank you. I want to encourage you to prayerfully think about increasing your generosity by 1%. Chris and I, every year when we look at our finances, try to ask God, how can we give a little bit more? And we've continued to do that for almost 15 years of marriage. And every year we look back and we gave more this last year than we have in any other year. And it's my thing I'm most proud of when we get to tax season. It's like, oh man, that's the best thing is to see how we've been able to increase our generosity throughout the years. So I encourage you to do the same thing. And then some of you here, you're, you're just, you love giving. I love giving. I love helping people. I went through my clothes this week to get rid of all a bunch of old stuff for summertime. I found all these shoes. They're now in my car. I'm waiting to give them away on, to people on the, on the streets. You know, I love helping people. And some of you love to help people too. And so if you have a heart for generosity specifically, and you want to give above and beyond any of that, you can come talk to me. Maybe you have a heart for a missional project or for our students, and I would love to talk to you about what God is stirring in your heart um, in giving to this church. So we gather, we grow, we go, we give. That's who we are as a church. This past week, um, we always meet as a staff, and our favorite thing in staff meeting is to talk about ministry headlines. And what we try to do is we try to think about the last week of ministry, and we try to talk about the ministry headlines as if it was in a newspaper. So it's kind of a creative way to kind of make it all work together, right? And so I want to read to you a few of the headlines from this past week, from VBS all the way until today. There are about 10 of them. Here they are. This is stuff that happened through you as a church. Incredible stuff. Here's the first one. Autistic boy enjoys VBS because of a superhero leader. Renee, right? Seriously. Friday at VBS. It's pretty awesome. Community members inquire about attending our church after attending VBS. It was pretty cool to see people from the community come in here and go, when do you meet? You know, what's this place all about? It's pretty cool. They came from the library. A tired ministry team learns that the Lord uses our humble offerings. Ashton high fives everyone and builds teamwork. If you know Ashton, he's awesome. He was high fiving everyone at VBS. Kristen had a baby. Okay, you all know Kristen? Here you go. Kids team steps up on Sunday morning because she's gone right now. And uh, some of you got a, an email from uh, us that Rebecca Lind, who has uh, been attending our church, she's stepping in as our interim kids director. She and her husband are on vacation this week because they didn't have, they weren't God and didn't know when the baby was going to be born. So they're gone this week. She'll begin next week. Uh, but the kids team has really stepped up in light of Kristen's absence and, and new baby. Don, where's Don? Don, where are you, man? Bowling? Hey, where's, where's Don Bowling? Oh, there we go. Hey, Don. Don, uh, I'm a leader bowling. Spearheads a setup team and does it with joy. So Don just recently started uh, leading our setup and teardown team. 
And if you want to know what the heart of this church looks like, it's like Don. He gets it. He's awesome. Alpha team ends, our Alpha course ended, but the journey for our guests really begins. The Alpha team threw one of our guests their first birthday in nine years. So one of our Alpha guests came to the course inquiring about who God is. And over the course of the, the nine weeks, we found out that, that no one has thrown him a birthday party for a long time because of some relational issues in his family. So on the final week of Alpha, the Alpha team threw him a birthday party. I'm telling you, that's the kingdom of God. That is life-giving, right? Very life-giving. And I mean, we sat there and we ate cake and it was, it was strange and beautiful all at the same time. But it was a life-giving community. It was wonderful. Uh, kids raised $101 to foster kids in all of Crest for VBS. That's pretty awesome. And then John, I was just gonna, I already mentioned to you, but Baker brings down the house with his homemade scones, right? So life without God isn't life at all. Life without God isn't life at all, but life with God is literally life-changing. It's life-changing. So the question I have for us is this at the end here, what other life-giving headlines will we make together in this coming year? What other headlines can we make together? Who knows? Like God's gonna use you. And if you're here today and you don't have a home church, um, I wanna invite you to make this your home church. I'm unashamed about how great this church is. I don't care. I mean, but if by chance this isn't your home church, there are a lot of great churches in the area. We just want you to be a disciple of Jesus who is part of a community somewhere. And if you wanna be part of this church, man, step on in. It's a great time. The next few weeks are gonna be awesome. It's gonna be great. Um, don't wait till tomorrow to get involved in a church. Uh, God is doing great things here. So thank you. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I wanna give an invitation this morning because it brings me great joy just to say that Jesus loves you. He knows you. He wants a relationship with you. And there's nothing more than the Christians in this room would want than for you to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. So I wanna pray for our church. I wanna surrender our church. I wanna ask you to pray in your hearts with me. And I just wanna give an invitation to anybody here today that wants to say yes to Jesus today. Would you pray with me?